Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Warning, this podcast contains paranormal, conspiracy, and true crime cases. The nature of these cases may be gory, unsettling, or vulgar. Please be advised. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. And this is episode 71, which 71. you already know. And since it's a new month, we have a new Patreon of the month. Yeah. And this month it is da, 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 da. Taylor Hillick. Yes. Thank you so much for being a Patreon with us. And uh, we love you. Yeah. She was one of the first. Yeah. She is one of the very first. Um, so thank you so much. And if you guys want to join Patreon, you can go to the link in our bio on any of our social medias and click the patreon link in the link tree or you can scroll down as you're listening right now and go to our show notes where there is a patreon link it's five dollars a month you get two bonus episodes per month and the entire backlog since october so it's a great deal yeah so as of february you guys now have nine episodes so that's a lot to binge a lot to binge so definitely get on that um while we have you here go ahead and follow us on instagram at creeps and crimes podcast Follow us on Twitter at creeps underscore underscore crimes crimes. and follow us on TikTok at creeps and crimes. And then you can follow our personal morg.m double the G. Yep. And mine is Taylor J with an A. Yes. Yeah. Hit up those socials. And then also, um, guys, first off, we just wanted to thank you guys for A, following us. Yeah. Um, B, all of our new listeners. Hey, welcome. What is up? And, and everybody leaving reviews right now. Oh, oh they're my so God. wonderful. They're amazing. So what we're going to do, because we don't want to waste all this time in the beginning reading these off. So we're going to put that into our TFU section at the end of the episode. So if you guys want to stay in here, some of the sweetest freaking reviews we've ever gotten in our entire lives. Go there and listen. They're really amazing. They're so nice. And if you haven't, go ahead and leave a rating and review for us because what you guys don't know is that it really helps our small little podcasts so much. Like it's insane how much it helps us out. So if you don't mind to go do that. And then Morgan, uh, what do we do this weekend? What did we do this weekend? We went to a concert. Yeah, we went to a concert. And guys, we're recording for just like a quick little burb. We're recording for the first time in like three months sitting beside each other facing yeah, a camera that's true. um it's weird so i think we're gonna be launching this one on youtube not the full episode you're gonna see a new um style sta- style of it if if it works out we haven't we haven't figured it out yet so we're just doing like a test run today and we'll let you know but um anyways we went to a concert and uh, it was my cousin's kind concert kylie morgan she was performing with nico moon and okay she did amazing like she is 
has a beautiful voice. I mean, her songs are just amazing. Her voice is amazing. Like, I mean, I know I'm a little biased, but like she's just her outfits. But I'm not biased and I think she's great. Yeah, she's so good. But she was performing with Nico Moon and oh my God. Okay, A, he's a performer. Like he brings the energy and doesn't stop. It's it's, crazy. It's always the best day of his life. Yeah, it was like the the energy was just like radiating off of the stage and like into the crowd and everybody was going crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And, um, but his intro was so dope. And we're not going to tell you about it because we might steal it. Yeah, we might be stealing (laughs) something of that sort. But a couple funny things that happened at the concert. Um, Taylor spotted on camera. You guys know her... What what's not the word? Her signature move is yes. when she puts her hands out. She either grabs a chair or a table. In this case, we were front row, so she grabs the railing, and she starts whipping her head around. <laughs> and it was so funny. It's on her TikTok. You guys have to go check that out. Yes. And then at the very beginning, when the MCs came out, they're like, "Who's re- would they say? Who's ready to party? <laughs> yeah, who's ready like to party?" That. And they're like, "Put your drinks up." And I put my drink up, but I was holding Madison, so I wasn't like double fisting. I was but just was ho- she? I was, well, I ended up drinking it. Yeah. yeah. I'm holding it up and they're go, and I'm like, I say to Madison, I think they're looking at me and he's looking at me and he goes, what's your name? And I'm like, Morgan. Morgan. And he's like, let's give it up for double cup Morgan. Morgan. It was <laughs> so funny. We were screaming. We were screaming. Screaming, jumping up and down. I spilt both the drinks. Yeah. It was, it everywhere. was awesome. <laughs> It was awesome. And he came and checked back on you in the second uh, when he yeah. was. That was when he was introducing Kylie. He comes back out to introduce uh, Nico. And he's like, where's my double cup Morgan at? And yeah. she only had one cup. He said, we got it down to one cup. And I handed her my drink. And he goes, yeah. She put both <laughs> up. <laughs> it was, that was so, so good. Anyway, that's that's all. That's all we've really stuff. done. Yeah. We've been just working hard. We got a lot of stuff coming for you guys. Um, I know we've talked a little bit about it, like giving hints there here and there. But. We're working hard on our merch for you guys and trying to get it out ASAP. Like literally as soon as we can. If it was a perfect world, I would have it out on February 1st, but it's not a perfect world and Mercury's in retrograde. So it's almost out. Yeah, we're almost we're almost in the clear. So as soon as that happens, you should have your merch by then. And also we have a special guest with us today. Um, Oh, yes. This is Gizzy. Say hi, Gizzy. He's not saying hi. (laughs) Gizzy is a three-month-old Pomeranian. He's so cute. He fits in the palm of your hand, literally. He looks like one of those beanbag babies, like, yeah. with a lot of fur. And he's so cute. He's so sweet. And the cats, like, just don't know what to do with him. They're like, is he a cat? Is he is a he dog? Is he a dog? Is it a Why toy? Why does he smell like Ollie? We don't like Ollie. Yeah. <laughs> Ollie's kind of crazy and huge, but this one looks like one of us. Yeah, they're a little confused. Yeah, they're a little concerned, honestly. But you'll probably hear Mila meowing outside the door because she wants to come in and stare at Gizzy and hiss a little bit longer. But <laughs> anyways, that's all we have. Um, and then we're going to get into the episode. Also... Um, February is Black History Month, so we just wanted to honor Black History Month by, for the true crime portions, we are going to be covering all African-American undercovered um, unsolved cases for this month um, to bring some awareness and to be able to celebrate this month in the best way that we know how on this podcast. So um, if you guys have any suggestions of cases that you would like to be covered, you can send them in on our website at creepsandcrimespodcast.com in the submission portal, 
or recommendation portal. I think that's what it yeah. is. I think it's it's either on the bottom of the about us page or the homepage, and then one of those two, the, whichever if you one's do not where submit it as like the creepy account. We still get it. Yeah, so. we'll still get it. Just title it like Black History Month Unsolved Cases, and yeah. we'll check it out because uh, we've got a lot of cases lined up. But I I do want to say like some of them are really well covered. I just want to be sure that we're getting cases that actually need media attention um, right. and aren't getting it. So anyways, happy Black History Month to all of our listeners. And um, we are ready to get started. Morgan, hit them with it. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. Okay, Morgan, what do you have for us today? Okay, today we're going to be talking about the silent twins. Oh. And this was actually one of the recommendations, right, that you got on TikTok. Yes, yes. It was through your TikTok. Yes. Um, So I figured I'd go ahead and cover it. Aubrey and Gloria Gibbons were in search for a more fulfilling life. They're a part of something called the Windrush Generation. Mm. So the Windrush Generation was a, a sort of movement, I guess you'd call it, where after World War II, many African-Caribbean people were migrating to North America and Europe, but specifically the United Kingdom. Because due to the losses of the war, the British government was really encouraging mass immigration to fill shortages in like labor fields and just to get more workers. Right. And this attracted the Gibbons family, a sense of job security, being able to provide for their babies. They joined the movement. In 1960, Aubrey Gibbons moved from Barbados to the United Kingdom, leaving his wife, Gloria, and their two children back home in search for a job. He stayed with a relative in Coventry and shortly after got hired as a technician with the Royal Air Force. Mm. A couple months later, his wife, Gloria, and their two babies, Greta, who was three, and David, who was one, joined Aubrey in the United Kingdom. Within a couple years, Aubrey was deployed and sent overseas to Aden, Yemen. Is that how you say that country? I literally couldn't tell you. Yemen. Yemen. I don't know. We'll Sorry, see. Marley. Um, the family moved with him, living on base. But it wasn't an easy move because Gloria was pregnant. And she was pregnant with twins. Oh, my God. On April 11th, 1963, Gloria gave birth to her two daughters, June and Jennifer, at a military hospital in Yemen. I love their names. Yeah, it's pretty. It's really beautiful. Later that year, Aubrey was transferred once again back to England, where the family then moved to the Royal Air Force Base in Linton, Yorkshire. And then a couple months later, got transferred again and moved to Haverford West, Wales. First off. If I was Gloria, I'd be like, I would be so pissed. Like, I just had these kids. Moving three times, once pregnant with two babies, and twice with newborn, two twin newborns and toddlers. Oh, that? Hell no. That is hell. That is a lot. That is, I mean, I. a lot on a woman. I hated going on vacation when my little sisters were younger. It was just a hassle. I couldn't imagine moving. Especially as a military family, you know that they have to do, they have to set up their house by themselves because the husbands are always working. Right. So it just. And you don't really have family to like. A lot. Especially since they had just moved to this country. Like, they didn't have a lot of family living near them, you know? Yeah. So. I would be a little pissed. But. Yeah. Um, June and Jennifer, the twins, they were happy little girls. When they hit the age that they should be speaking, 
Gloria and Aubrey noticed that they were pretty far behind the rest of the toddlers their age when it came to language skills, but not in a way that they weren't talking necessarily because they were relatively quiet. But what was concerning was that the girls only one spoke to each other and two spoke in their own language that even their parents couldn't understand. (laughs) Their father, Aubrey, recalled, quote, in the home, they talk, make sounds and all that. But we knew that they weren't quite like, you know, normal children. Got it. And with that, the girls were unusually separable, inseparable. Oh, wow. And I feel like this is similar with like most sets of twins. You know, yeah. like you have to think like when you're young, especially when you're young, it's like having a built-in BFF. They're right. the same age as you. You're doing every single thing together. Right. So you I don't dress know. the same. You look the same. Like right. I feel like it's really common, but to June and Jennifer, they were really each other's world, and nobody else mattered. I mean, they literally have their own language. Right. Yeah. And then they began withdrawing from their family keeping only to themselves and each other and their language that seemed to resemble like a sped up Bajan Creole. I hope I said that right. Um, Bajan Creole is an English based language. Mm -hmm. Well, their language became more unintelligible to others. When the twins were eight years old, they moved to Devon again, another move when their dad was posted to the Royal Air Force Base in Shivnor. Sorry to all of our people out there in United Kingdom that I'm literally butching every word. (laughs) Literally. Sorry, Marley. Sorry to the entire world. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And this move happened around the same age that the kids would be in elementary school. And moving to a new school, well, that's pretty hard already to get acclimated, make some friends and not be known as, quote, like the new kid. Yeah. Um, But it was especially hard for the twins and the rest of the Gibbons kids because they were the only African Caribbean children in the entire school and community. Oh, my God. That's tough. They were constantly bullied for the color of their skin, leaving them to feel ostracized from the rest of the students and, I mean, the community. I mean, yeah. And on top of that, they wouldn't speak to anybody, only each other. And when they did, it was their own language. And to the to other kids, this is totally out of the norm, you know? Right. And so it was just leaving them to be bullied even more. But it's like, why would they even want to talk to the people right, that are at that assholes point. to them? Like if they're... If, you know right like exactly. i would be like i don't even care to talk to you guys we have our own language right like i don't need to talk to you one you're assholes yeah you're bullying me for the color you're racist skin. assholes yeah little kids so this was pretty fucking traumatic for yeah. them and it had gone so bad that school administrators were dismissing the twins early just about every single day from school to try and help avoid bullying after school hours Um, By age 11, the twins would refuse to read or write at school, exclude anybody and everybody, including their parents, and were literally silent except to each other. Oh, my God. And at this time, nobody was worried about the girls, not teachers, not the administration, not even their parents. It wasn't until 1976 when a medic named John Reese had arrived at the girls' school to distribute tuberculosis vaccines. And when it came time for the girls, they were very, like, impassive. Their actions and their demeanor were so worrisome to John that he contacted a child psychiatrist. He said that their behavior was, quote, doll-like and unlike any other child getting a shot. Like, they were unusually not reactive. Like, they were just, like, expressionless. Like, numb. Yeah. That's terrifying. The child psychiatrist immediately insisted that the girls be enrolled into therapy. And they were. But after seeing several 
psychotherapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, the girls left everyone baffled. They were a literal mystery, and they continued to refuse to speak to anybody but themselves. In February of 1977, a speech therapist named Anne Treharn met with June and Jennifer. And with Anne, the girls would still not talk, but there was a bit of a breakthrough because the twins told Anne that she could leave a recorder in the room. Well, they didn't tell her. They just, she suggested it and they, you know. Yeah, and they like stared at her blankly. Um, They allowed Anne to leave a recorder in the room to record the girls conversing with each other when they were by themselves. Okay. And what she found was startling. June wanted to speak to Anne. But June was not allowed to do so by Jennifer. Oh. And Anne said that Jennifer's demeanor was very odd and interesting. She would sit there with no expression, where June was just a little bit more, like, interactive with her reactions. Um, The speech therapist Anne later said that, quote, this is, like, really chilling. Jennifer sat there with an expressionless gaze, but I felt her power. The thought entered my mind that June was possessed by her twin. (gasps) I have chills all over my body. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anne's recommendation was that the girls needed to be separated with hopes that they could develop some sense of self, Mm -hmm. maybe break out of their own world and open up to others. So the decision was made to send the twins to two different boarding schools. But this made everything worse. Both girls withdrew entirely into themselves. People described it as almost catonic. Oh catatonic God. sorry <laughs> butcher it again <laughs> it's okay. they weren't just staying silent they weren't moving eating drinking at one point june could not get out of bed it took two people to pull her out as she was propped up against the wall expressionless and later described as her body being stiff and heavy like a corpse because oh. this experiment of separating the girls sending them to two different boarding schools clearly failed it was only making them worse the girls were then reunited back at home and when they got back together they became closer than ever they stayed in their bedroom isolated from their entire family and the rest of the world and the majority of their time was spent with playing with like dolls and making these elaborate plays with them a lot of people said they were like soap opera plays Um, they would read them aloud to each other and even record them on tapes some sense of normalcy for their parents, hearing that their daughters are up there playing with toys, yeah. talking. Um, so on Christmas Day, 1979, the twins were gifted a pair of diaries from their parents where they became very interested in creative writing. They would write stories and poems and novels, but each story just a little darker than the last one. Most stories took place in the United States, but specifically Malibu. They had like an obsession with Malibu. Okay. Sorry, Gizzy's popping up. Gizzy's literally getting choked between your chest and the chair. <laughs> the chair. I was trying to pull you back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> One story titled The Pepsi Cola Addict was written by June, and it was about a young teenager who was seduced by his high school teacher, sent away to a reformatory school where he, a homosexual guard would make plays for him. The girls put all of their money and got The Pepsi Cola Addict published by Vanity Press. What? But each story was mostly focused on young men and women who were exhibiting strange and criminal behavior. Jennifer's story, The Pugilist, Pugilist, um, was about a physician who was so desperate to save his child's life that he killed the family dog to obtain its heart for his child's transplant. 
Um, but the dog spirit lived on through the child and got revenge on the father. Oh. And another story of Jennifer's was titled Discomania. And it was about a young girl who discovered that the like the atmosphere of a local disco would basically brainwash everyone into like insane violence. Oh. And also in the diaries, they would talk about their relationship with each other. Once Jennifer had written, we have become fatal enemies in each other's eyes. We feel the irritating, deadly rays come out of our bodies, stinging each other's skin. I say to myself, can I get rid of my own shadow? Impossible or not possible? Without my shadow, would I die? Without my shadow, would I gain life, be free, or left to die? Without my shadow, which I identify with, a face of misery, deception, and murder. That's what she wrote about her sister. Oh, my God. Wait, is this the one that was controlling? Yes. Okay. This is Jennifer. In the summer of 1981, the girl's behavior took a turn for the worse. The then 18-year-old twins became involved with alcohol, drugs, boys, and petty crimes like vandalism and a little bit of petty theft. But then the crimes began to escalate, especially when the girls were charged with arson of three different buildings. Oh, my God. And they were arrested. But because of their bizarre behavior, they were placed in a maximum security hospital for the criminally insane, a place called Broadmoor Hospital. And they were sentenced to indefinite detention under the Mental Health Act of 1983. So I keep asking myself, is this because they really were showing like extreme sign of like weird and troubling behavior? Or And were they actually getting the help that they needed with being a minority in the community that they were and, like, already being outcasted throughout their entire, right. like, school and, like, community? as Especially a, in the 1980s. Yeah, and then they're putting them in this max security forever instead of just getting more specialists. Instead of going to a juvenile detention center where they would have probably gotten, like, two years. Like, maybe even two years. Yeah. Like, uh, that's where I'm like, okay, where do we draw the line at? Like, I'm just, I'm kind of confused, but keep going. So after their, I guess you would call it what, their sentencing, Mm -hmm. um, the girls continue to document their feelings in their diary. And this is an extract from June's diary written the day after they were sentenced to go to Broadmoor. She says, spinning in circles, sick, mental, psychopathic. Imagine how I felt. Me, a mental psychopath, a dangerous, evil, ruthless criminal, me. At last, my torment, my self-consciousness, my violence is, is known. I am labeled. Ah, now I know my fate. June Allison Gibbons, aged just 19, going down in history as a psychopath. Please, God, don't let me suffer as much in my new life as I have here. Let me be bold enough to speak openly. Let me trust the doctors and nurses and no longer be afraid of people. For the past seven months, I've had I've been with a soul with no hope. Don't let this disease paralyze me again. Destroying my abilities, tying up my tongue like firewood. Oh. Like she's like begging. She to literally be able to talk. She just wants to talk. Yeah. Wow, that's so awful. And the doctors at Broadmoor, they weren't as lenient as the twins' parents in previous schools had been um, with letting their actions go on, like being so tied up with each other. Um, they began treating the twins with high doses of antipsychotic medicines instead of letting them retreat into their own world. And for the next 12 years, the girls remained at Broadmoor. 12 years. And their time there was not easy. Their medication led to them not being able to concentrate. And Jennifer developed something called tardive dyskinesia, which is a neurological disorder that resulted in involuntary and repetitive movements. 
Um, the doctors thought that they were deeply disturbed and deeply dangerous. Some days, only one twin would eat, and then the next day, the other sister would indulge as her sister starved. Nurses would find them frozen in the same pose, even though they were locked in cells on the opposite ends of the hospital. Oh, my God. Um, during their time at Broadmoor, they didn't talk to anybody except for a woman named Marjorie Wallace. Mm. Sorry, Majorie. Marjorie, that's Marjorie, right. Marjorie, yeah. They liked Marjorie because she liked their novel that they had written prior to this, the Pepsi-Cola oh, one. Got it. Um, Marjorie spent every weekend with the twins at Broadmoor. The girls would let Marjorie read their diary entries, which involved a lot about how they felt trapped and even possessed and tortured by the other twin. One of June's entries says, Nobody suffers the way I do. Not with a sister, with a husband, yes. With a wife, yes. With a child, yes. But this sister of mine, a dark shadow robbing me of sunlight, is my one and only torment. Throughout the decade they were there, Marjorie fought hard for the girls to get out of Broadmoor, but not as hard as June did. June went to the extent of writing a letter to the Queen explaining their situation, but got no response. Marjorie was contacting any and every psychiatrist, psychologist, and even the Department of Health. She wrote articles in newspapers fighting for the twins to be discharged. And finally, after 12 years, the doctors at Broadmoor announced that they would be transferring the twins to Caswell Clinic, which is a lot lesser security. It's still okay. like a mental hospital, but it's a lot lesser. They're at like a maximum Max security. security. Yeah. yeah, insane. Um, so they said that the, we'll transfer the twins to Caswell, where hopefully after a year there, the twins would then be released and they'd be able to rejoin the world. Um, one day during their Saturday tea time, Marjorie and the twins were having a pleasant conversation because they were finally leaving Broadmoor. Right. When out of nowhere and in the middle of a conversation, she says, Jennifer says, Marjorie, I'm going to have to die. And Marjorie's like, what? what? Like she said, she said, according to actually NPR, we'll go ahead and throw that. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey. Um, Marjorie did an interview with um, NPR. And Marjorie said that she literally like laughed it off. She was like, "Why? Like, don't be silly. Like, calm down. Like, why do you have to die? You're not ill. You're about to leave like Broadmoor. That's why? literally me and you every day. Morgan, I'm literally going to die. Taylor, you're not going to die. Like, don't be silly. Calm down. Um, and Jennifer responds to this because we've decided we have made a pact. When we leave Broadmoor, I have to give up my life to let June be free. Who's we? Her and her and June. Oh, I was thinking like, is there something like a voice? Oh, maybe, maybe. Oh. Um. Later that day, Marjorie found out from staff that the twins had been fighting over who was going to die for weeks, and Marjorie was really disturbed at this conversation because she really thought the girls were, they were communicating with her, like they were finally being open to her, and that maybe they're backtracking now. Like she got really concerned, so she reached out to some of the doctors and alerted them at Broadmoor. Um. So, you know, maybe just monitor them. And the doctors promised to put them under really close monitoring, but it's not going to change their transfer to the Caswell Clinic. Mm -hmm. On March 9th, 1993, the hospital van came to transfer the twins. Jennifer wasn't really feeling too well the night before. Um, they both got into the van, and as soon as they passed through the gates leading out of Broadmoor, Jennifer slumped over on June's shoulder and fell into a coma. She was rushed to the Princess of Wales Hospital, where she was pronounced dead at 6.30 p.m. that evening. <gasps> June visited her as soon as possible, where she laid down a single red rose over her body. 
Autopsy reports say that Jennifer's death revealed major swelling around her heart, where her cause of death was then pronounced as myocarditis. <sighs> there was no evidence of drugs or poison in her system, and her death still remains a mystery. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, wait, she didn't, like, kill herself. No. Like, this was, like... They, there was no poison. There was no drugs. There was... They said it, she had inflammation around her heart. It literally was... And in one of the one of Jennifer's journal entries said that because they were separated at this hospital, she felt, and she was so separated from June that she felt like her heart wasn't beating anymore. Oh, before her death. Oh my God. Stop. And it was like as soon as they pulled out of the gates. Yes. The, this is a creepy pasta. You're you're no. you're telling me that this is a creepy pasta. It's not. Morgan, there's just no way. No. NPR wrote about this. Yes. It's not a creepypasta. Um, The very next day, June was talking with everyone and anyone (gasps) as if she had been doing it her entire life. (gasps) Somebody who was so isolated from society, lived in a mental institution for 12 years, was able to integrate and become an entire different person in one day. She told Marjorie that day after Jennifer died, I'm free at last, liberated. And at last, Jennifer has given up her life for me. What? Yes, it's insane. I'm speechless. I know. June was released from the hospital shortly after and began to live a relatively normal life. Once the two silent twins were reduced to one, June had no more desire to stay silent. June went on to give interviews with numerous media journalists. By 2008, she was living quietly and independently near her parents in West Wales. And in 2016, June and her sister Greta wanted to file a lawsuit against Broadmoor for ruining their lives and neglecting Jennifer's health, blaming Broadmoor for her death. Um, But their parents, Aubrey and Gloria, refused as it would not bring back Jennifer. Right. And that is the story of June and Jennifer Gibson. I mean, yeah, there probably was a lot of neglect. Like, I'm not even lying. But like, (laughs) she's just like, hey, I'm going to die when we pull out of here. Right. Like myocarditis can't be. My heart's going to swell up and die. Yeah, that's the silent twin. That is the craziest case I think of. Do you think that Jennifer was possessing June? Or do you think that June was possessing Jennifer? I don't know since. Or do you think it was some really type of like twin, some type of like psychokinesis, like connection that like, it's just all insane. It's like, it's like they had one soul that was split into two Mm -hmm. and it was like, they couldn't function. The soul couldn't function until it was whole. Yeah. In one body. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then I wonder if because Jennifer was a lot more, she was the one that was like stoic, right? And like. Jennifer was, June was always like at any, like um, with any therapist, like she would kind of react like just with like facial expressions. Mm -hmm. But Jennifer was always like. So then I wonder if she was the one. That's what I'm saying. Like a lot of people thought it was Jennifer. Yeah, but it was actually June June the entire time. Yeah. Wow wow what happened up there god like what was going on in distribution and like i'm (laughs) 
assaults. I think it's actually actually like really ridiculous that they spent twelve years. Oh, I think it's absolute bullshit for something they did when they were teenagers. Literally teen. They were. I mean, like what? They were eighteen, but I guess that's a young adult. I mean, it doesn't matter because. I mean, I get like right when you turn 18, but still like you're still a kid. Right. 18 is it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like even though you like legally are an adult to me and really any psychologist you'll ever talk to. It's like 25 that you actually right. can function yeah. like we are literally still children. Apparently, yeah. um, we know well, that <laughs> I feel like I am. Well, we know that we're still kids, but like, wow. Wow. Yeah. So what do you think? Like, what's your you think June was actually possessing Jennifer? Yeah, and but I don't know if it was like possession of like a third entity or if it was like I said with the split souls. It, it had to be something of the supernatural for her to literally die as soon as they leave. Yeah. I mean, it when they left that fence, like the right. gate. I mean, it had to you're right, it had to be like a force field, like yeah. something like a portal, like I don't know. Yeah. I don't. And the fact that they were found like in the same positions in two different, different sides. Rooms, like, like that's crazy. And like when one would eat, the other one would wouldn't. Starve. And then when the other one would indulge and the other one would just starve. starve. Yeah. Like, whoa. Like I, they were eating for each other. Like, yes. Like I'm indulging so much. Like I'm gorging on food because I'm eating for you. That is so crazy Morgan this is probably one of my favorite cases that you've ever covered because I've heard of this story but I've never like listened to all the details of it yeah no it's really crazy sorry Gizzy's panting out of nowhere (laughs) Gizzy doesn't like this story and guys as like we're okay if you're watching on YouTube you see us keep looking over to our left and it's because in every time that Morgan would say J-U-N-E yeah June June Okay, I was double checking that I didn't move. Our computer was literally glitching out. Like flying back and forth. It was crazy looking. And I think the first time it happened, we were saying something about back and forth. And yes. And the computer starts going crazy. Uh, I literally. And she, we paused it and she goes, well, how's this story end? Yeah. And I was like, she dies. And she was like, does she haunt people? Because I think she's here. I literally think she's in this room right now. Should we, should we call her forward? No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> if you're here, <laughs> stay away. <laughs> Please don't mess with us. Okay. Um, Ready to get crimey. Let's get crimey. We have partnered with Gaia's Chess to offer you an exclusive discount on the brand new Sorry Marley collection. Gaia's Chess creates personalized crystal vial amulets. Fill it with essential oils, moon water, or whatever you need to keep your space protected and clear. Hang it in your car, around your neck, or just throw it in your purse to keep the good vibes flowing. To see the crystal amulets offered, you can head over to Creeps and Crimes Instagram and click on the Sorry Marley collection post, or Gaia's Chest Instagram, which is at Gaia's Chest. Use code Creeps and Crimes to receive 20% off of your order. That's code Creeps and Crimes. Don't forget, this offer ends on January 30th. 2022 so be sure to place your orders now good vibes only Looking to start your spiritual journey or connect with a loved one that has passed? Psychic medium Susan Edwards with Angel Wings and Healing Things has the ability to kickstart your spiritual awakening. Susan has over 30 years of experience and is a certified angelic medium with a passion for speaking to deceased loved ones while leading you on your spiritual journey. 
Being a Holy Fire Karuna Reiki master and working with sound therapy, Susan has the ability to teach you all of the skills you need to protect, release, and grow your energy. I personally have been seeing Susan since December of 2019. Throughout our time working together, she has brought me peace with my loved ones, helped me connect to my guides, and cleansed myself and my home many of times. Want to connect with your past life? Susan is a certified consulting hypnotist that has the ability to do just that. Susan is located in Knoxville, Tennessee and offers in-person or over-the-phone readings. Because of the amazing lessons, readings, and healings that we have gotten, Taylor and I have decided to partner with Susan to bring you the same level of peace that she has delivered to us. To get 10% off of your first reading with Susan, message Angel Wings and Healing Things on Facebook or text 704-562-3476 to set up your appointment telling her that we sent you. And you might need it after listening to us. Again, that is 10% off your first reading. Message Angel Wings and Healing Things on Facebook or text 704-562-3476. And tell her we sent you. Did you miss our lash ads? Well, guess what? We are back with even more. Afterlife Lash Extensions is a Knoxville-based lash studio that offers everything from classics to super volume. Not in Knoxville? Or would you rather have falsies? Afterlife Lashes has it all with their own strip lashes for sale on Instagram at Afterlife Lashes. All of their products are faux mink silk material that is vegan, cruelty-free, and is sent to you in a reusable coffin packaging that is so cute and so on brand. With three years experience and a three-time certified lash artist, Afterlife Lashes is here to give you the best experience possible. Take a nap on their ultra-soft lash beds with great music and even better vibes. Use our code CREEPSANDCRIMES to get 40% off your entire order of falsies on afterlifelashes.com. To book an extension appointment, DM Afterlife Life extensions on Instagram and mention Creeps and Crimes podcast to receive 40% off any service offered. Happy lashing. Okay, so let's get crimey. Today I'm going to be covering the case of Kendrick Johnson. Have you ever heard of this case? No. I think once we get into it, you'll have seen it in the news because it's um it's awful. Uh and this family has fought and this community has fought for this case to be reopened on multiple occasions and really um I feel like the last few episodes we've been really talking about corruption in police departments and this is just kind of like another Another cherry yeah this is like the cherry on top so can't wait to get pissed off yeah you're gonna be torn by the end of this um so on january 10th 2013 17 year old kendrick johnson did not come home at his regular time after school during his junior year at lounge high school in valdosta georgia um that day he had actually planned to attend a basketball game but um as time went on his mother jacqueline was like okay even though even if he was at the basketball game like this isn't Right, he would be home by now. So she called around and she found out that he wasn't even at the basketball game. So she gets up and she drives after calling him multiple times to the school. And the like school is completely dark. All of the lights are off. The parking lot is completely like dark and empty and all of the doors are locked. So 
There was no sign of Kendrick, and she, at this point, it's like midnight, so she just goes to the police department. It was the um, Lowndes Sh- County Sheriff's Department, okay. and reports her son missing, which we all know already what police said. They were like, he's he 17, he'll be back later, he's probably yeah. just doing what regular 17-year-olds do. No. Right. They don't. Maybe in the 70s, but no, yeah. they don't do this. Um, so Jacqueline was like, Obviously wanting to hope for the best that maybe he was just being like a stupid 17 year old. But mom instincts tell you that that's not what's going on. So she returns home and she probably had one of the most restless sleeps of her life. And the next morning she woke up and drove straight to the school because she knew one thing. Even if he was being stupid, he was not going to miss school. But after speaking with the like counselor, she literally finds out that he has been missing longer than she even thought he was marked as absent no he was at school but he was marked absent from his third and fourth block classes which was after his lunch break meaning that she never got a call that he wasn't there which would not fly today but like i was in school at this same time Right. Well, I, we, my parents didn't get called. You, you guys didn't get yeah. called. We would get, like, at the end of the day, my parents would get a call if, like, we were absent for half of the day and hadn't been checked out. Like, just to check on us. Probably because of situations like Oh, I this. think if we hadn't been checked out through the office, it yeah. would probably raise some red flags. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's, so she goes up and she's like, okay, he hasn't been here for third and fourth period and he wasn't at that game. So he's been missing for, like, a full 24 hours at this point. And she's in the school counselor's office, like having this conversation when a phone call comes through to the counselor and an announcement's made that the school's on lockdown. And she's like asking questions, what's going on, but they're not saying anything back to her. So she gets up. They're like, hey, you have to go. Well, the police are there. And a student comes up to her and says they found Kendrick. And he's dead. So she starts running to this area called the old gym. So the school had two gyms. One was like the newer gym and the other one was like the old gym. At my school, we had the volleyball gym, which was our old gym. Right. And then the dome was our like new, but that one got torn down. So anyways, Um, so basically they're like, it's Kendrick. He's dead. So she's trying to go. The police are not letting her in. And it's just a super weird situation. So let's talk about the old gym and what and how he was discovered. So. A bunch of students were hanging out in in the old gym between classes and um, they notice a sock sticking out of a rolled up cheerleading or wrestling mat. And these mats are like six feet tall, three foot wide, and they're standing vertically and right. like stacked up in the corner of the gym. Yeah. You, did you guys have those? Yes. Yeah, especially with cheer. Anybody that knows cheer knows what, the, what I'm talking about. So the students went to investigate what this sock was and this is when they realize that it's a body. And after trying to like, they didn't know who it was. They just knew it was a person in there. They're like, Hey man, like, what are you doing? Like, do you need help? Or you need help getting out? But they realize that this person's unconscious and they're getting no response. So they run to get help from a teacher or a faculty member. But once the teacher arrives and began moving the mats around, they smelled it. It was decomposition. So they all quickly stepped away after realizing this and did not touch another thing. And the police were called immediately. Once the police arrived, they identified the body to belong to Kendrick Johnson. And the only thing that Kendrick's family was told at the time is that their son had been found, but 
they weren't telling him them that he was he dead, was dead. Yeah. but other students were. So they knew that this was not a good situation. It wasn't until many hours after this that they concluded that he was actually deceased. And they were denied access to even identify his body because they said students had already done it. Are you serious? I'm not kidding. Um, but the story that they were told about how he ended up in this mat just does not add up like at all the family and the public were told by the sheriff at in a press conference that 17 year old Kendrick was getting ready for a PE class because that was what he had after his lunch period when he goes to the mats and the gyms to get his sneakers now I know this doesn't make sense when I'm just saying it like that but basically at this school in order to have a gym locker you had to rent it But a lot of students didn't want to do this. So they would just like leave their gym clothes and shoes behind these mats or like in the in the bleachers. Exactly. So Kendrick and his friend also did this. And he and his friend shared this pair, these pair of gym shoes. They were Adidas uh, tennis shoes. And when they were done with them, they would put them back in the top of the hole of this mat vertically or like when it's laying down, just like stick it in the side of it. And then the other one would go get it the next day when it was their gym period because they rotated schedules. So the sheriff, Chris Prine, theorized that Kendrick had gone into these mats in the old gym to retrieve his shoes, but they were too far down in the mat for him to reach just from the top like normal. Therefore, he climbed on top of the bleachers before reaching down into the hole and getting trying to reach for the shoes when he gets stuck and unable to get help or move and eventually unable to breathe, concluding that he had died, according to his autopsy, from accidental positional asphyxiation. Because he was upside down. Yes. So really quickly, I just want to touch on what this is. There's only been, okay, this only became a thing like in the 50s to be able to say that this is what you could die from. But like also let's think about what else they said in the 50s. Like, right, you know, exactly. you know, like mm, whatever. Um, and it's only been put on autopsy reports for about 30 different cases since then. And basically it's when you literally can't tell what it was so but you do know that airways were obstructed so that's where we get it from okay it's very rare it's very rare and um (laughs) the issues that I the family and the community have and really the entire true crime community at this point is that this doesn't add up because number one he was holding his headphones in his hands. So if if you're thinking like, oh, I'm going to reach reaching, down in this. You're, you're not going to have anything in your hand. You're not going to be holding your headphones doing this. And at, okay, number two, at the time, they're saying that when this went on, there were multiple other students in this gym. Therefore, someone would have heard or seen something. And on top of this, this was a highly trafficked gym. So even if those people didn't see it, a lot of kids were getting their shit from this mat, like in and out of this area a lot. And fourth, because they have to fucking rent lockers. Like what? I've literally never even heard of that. Um, So number four, next, why would he go in from the top when he could easily, they're sitting at the bottom of the mat, like at the bottom of the hole, flip the mat over, just literally tilt it. I mean, he's a young, able, strong man that would be able to grab it and move it and get him. Uh, And number five, 
this gem is like small, like so small, Morgan. Um, literally, probably the just like one quart. And it's got the, these bleachers I'm telling you about are like two stacked benches like you would see at like a soccer field. OK, like they're not. And if this is not huge and there are students all throughout it, like it, it's not big enough for no one to hear or see anything. It took weeks, almost months for the family to receive their son's records, autopsy reports and photos and even to see their son for the first time. And once they did, this theory presented to them in the public seemed damn near impossible. And no one was listening to them. No one was believing them, kind of like the Lauren Taylor AG case. They had people telling them that they just were not accepting the truth, that they were on a witch hunt. And so the family did something and it rocked this community. It rocked the nation. They released all of their son's photos from the case. And just a forewarning. As I continue on, I'm going to be discussing these photos and they are hard to hear about and even harder to see. But I'm going to link them in our description so that you can view them at your own will. But they did this to prove that this was not an accidental death. So the first thing that we are going to discuss is how his body was found and the possessions around him were discovered so on the top of the mat looking down uh, you can see Kendrick's feet he's wearing white socks and it's pretty snug and he's like deep into this mat Um, but beside him in the hole are his school shoes And they aren't just sitting loosely on top as if he were like to have kicked them off while like struggling to get out or trying to get help upside down. They're literally perfectly snug tucked between his body and the mat with the laces facing up towards the sky as if I were to pick up my shoes from the ground and place them somewhere else. Like it's it's weird. And. It's just like not how you would think if someone was struggling to get out of somewhere and like frantically kicking off their shoes. They would be either a not in the mat or like flung everywhere else and like gently sitting on top where these are like tucked between the mat and his body. And um, let's talk about the shoes of the hour, the shoes that he was supposedly getting and the reason why he got put in this situation in the first place. Where are these? Well... One of the shoes was directly below where Kendrick's body was hanging upside down as if he was reaching for it. And gore warning before I get into this. When a body hangs, all of the blood in that person's body settles with gravity. Therefore, all of Kendrick's blood was settling and draining from his head, leaving a pool of blood directly below him on the gym floor where the shoe was. But... This shoe was found completely clean without a drop of blood on it on top of the blood puddle. What? And they were like, well, he was probably holding it. Okay, well, how long can he hold on to it? Right. And if that's the case, blood was literally draining. There's blood on his arm. It was literally draining down his arm 
because it was in front of him, it still would have blood on it. It's completely clean. But now let's talk about the mat itself. I already stated they're six feet tall and three feet wide rolled up. But the hole that his body was discovered in was 14 inches wide. And Kendrick's shoulders were 19 inches wide. However, if he was in the diving position, which it looked like he was semi because he had one arm above his head and the other tucked beside his chest, he might have been able to squeeze into that, but it's very unlikely. We're not cats. Right. And those mats, when they're rolled up, they're rolled up tight. Tight. And then they're band, like bandages. Yes. Not bandaged, but. Like, like wrapped together. Right. So let's talk about Kendrick himself. On his face and arms, there is severe bruising and swelling, mainly from the blood settling and pulling because of the position of his body. But in addition to this, there are several scratches and tears in his skin. And some people tried to like explain it away like, oh, well, he was probably fighting to get out and rub that rough mat. Those mats are made. Yeah, you'll get burn on them. I've had plenty of it. they're not going to tear you. They're not going to rip your skin open. I've tumbled and literally knocked myself out on one of those before. Yeah, and same. I barely had a scratch. So this looks like to me, his family and many others, that he had been attacked. So to further support this, on the gym wall near where the mats were, there was dried blood dripping down the wall, as well as in the girls' bathroom, a trash can filled with like bloody towels. Oh Police my gosh. tested this blood and it was not a match to Kendrick's, but then the testing ended there. There was no further investigation into any of this additional blood. And because his case was ruled an accident, none of these samples were kept for further testing. They were just thrown away. Are you shitting me? I'm not shitting you. And y'all, that included the shoes. That was the entire basis for the source of this story. Thrown away. Thrown away. They're gone. So at this point, the family and the community are literally fighting and screaming for law enforcement to listen to them and reopen Kendrick's case. And luckily, their efforts did not go unnoticed. On October 31st of 2013, U.S. Attorney Michael J. Moore announced that his office would be reopening Kendrick's case and investigating these claims. And their first move was to exhume his body. Now, this is where shit gets really sketchy on a deeper level than just like an accidental death like this shows corruption and systemic racism in a way that I have never seen it before and okay this is really I'm not even ready I know when they exhumed his body and began examining it all of his organs were missing what every single one including his brain and he had been stuffed with newspapers now this is a practice however it is extremely outdated you can't get in trouble for doing it but you're not it's not supported this is an old practice and typically if this happens um Let's go back to the organs. In some cases, if the organs are not placed back into the body because they're needed for further testing, they are safely stored and maintained. 
Well, the GBI, which is who performed his first original autopsy, claimed that they had given all of his organs with his body to the funeral home, along with Kendrick's body and clothes. However, the funeral home no longer had any of these items. But luckily, the organs were not what the medical examiner needed to determine Kendrick's death was not accidental. Because during this autopsy, the second autopsy, it was determined that his death was not accidental positional asphyxiation. In the second autopsy, it was officially determined that his actual cause of death was blunt force trauma to the right side of his neck. Around this same time, 290 hours worth of school surveillance videos were released to CNN from 35 different cameras throughout the school. And a forensic analyst for CNN found that two of the cameras are missing an hour and five minutes worth of footage. And another set of two cameras was missing two hours and ten minutes worth of footage. That day. That day. They later claimed that this was at the fall of an unsynced camera clock system and motion sensors that are all running from the same server but mysteriously the cameras facing the area where the mats were just so happened to be out of range and out of focus to so much so that it couldn't even be examined and oh, used okay. as evidence yeah but that's not even the worst part before this footage was ever released to police or cnn or the public The school was allowed to review it first and release what they thought was applicable to the case. Oh, were they? When in the world have you ever heard of that? So the school has jurisdiction. Uh, Apparently. Over the police department. Over an investigation. And some other podcasts that I was was listening to, and I'm not even going to name them because I know they probably didn't mean it this way, but to me they were kind of explaining this away, which this is nothing that can be explained away to me. Um, They were saying it was because of the FERPA Act, which is, is that what it's called, FERPA Act? For students. For students, like protecting minors' identities so that you can't just release it. But you can release that to the police. Right. It's the police we're talking about here. We're not talking about CNN. Yeah, maybe before CNN that needed to be reviewed to make sure, you know, that the minors in the photos, like, weren't being, you know, wouldn't be exposed. Yeah, but you can still blur out faces. Faces, which is what they did. Yeah. Which is what CNN did. But, yeah, I've never, I've never heard of a shop owner. Let's talk about, like, a shop owner where, like, a crime happens. They are never able to go through and, like, edit it beforehand. Never heard of that in my entire life. So this, accompanied with all of the things that we have just talked about, furthered the belief that this was not just any case. This was now a cover-up. And the theory of this is terrifying, to say the least. So, let's get into this. Months before Kendrick's death, he and another student had gotten into a fight on a bus. And this just wasn't a one-time ordeal. Because that, after this altercation, the original altercation, he and this other student, along with the student's brother and friend continually harassed and attacked Kendrick at the school and other school events. And Kendrick's parents reached out to the school on multiple occasions reporting these incidents. And some, or better yet, most of these incidents took place in front of faculty and staff members at the school. Yet no actions were ever taken to stop this. But that is not the worst part. Because that particular student and his brother 
their dad is an FBI agent. Are you kidding me? Yep, it's just a good old white boys club. Oh my God. Sitting down there in Valdosta, Georgia and covering this case up. But despite this theory being pretty logical after tons and tons of back and forth, both of the boys were determined to be in different locations. One was around the school meeting with Coach Jimbo Fisher that was recruiting him to come play college football. And the other one was at a wrestling tournament and had already left for the day. I'm going to come back to that. Whatever. So <laughs> I'm coming back to that. Don't worry, guys. I'm, I'm sorry. I just have to leave you there to move on. So in 2016, Michael Moore, the U.S. attorney, dropped this case, saying that there was no further investigation, making it seem like there was no hope for Kendrick, for his family, to get the justice that they deserve. But then, Morgan... Just as everything looked down, one of our favorite groups swooped in. Anonymous. Uh-uh. And they released a video that exposed all of the shady shit that was being covered up and called out name by name these people. So I'm going to show shit. you I'm going to show you this video, Morgan. And um, then we're going to come back on and discuss it with everybody. Okay. All right, guys. We're going to link that in the show description. I am fucking sick to my stomach mm -hmm. and I'm pissed off. Yeah. So um, now we're going to discuss some points that were made that up until this point really had been talked about by the family, but obviously not being, they weren't being listened to or heard out. Um, but this is what Anonymous um, went through. So I have about nine things that we can talk about. Number one, the students that discovered his body were actually the daughters of the superintendent in the school district. Number two, it exposes video footage of the brothers that determined that were determined not to be in the area at the time. Literally one of them is in this area walking back and forth multiple times at the time that Kendrick would have been killed or in the I'm going to say killed he, at the time that he was yeah. killed. Um, and he changes his shirt. And at one point, someone froze this frame. I saw this on Reddit. And you can see blood on his le right shoulder, on the left side on the screen. As and they looking. were carrying trash bags. Carrying trash bags back Sorry, and forth. Sorry, I jump ahead no, of you? No, you're good. And he's holding a paper towel in his right hand, which is where the blood drop was. So he changes his clothes completely. Number three, it shows the hostility from the sheriff, Chris Prine, with the Lowndes County Sheriff's Department and how he literally said when the CNN reporter came in, he said, I'm not discussing that case with you. I'm not discussing that case. I, I don't want to talk closed. about it. He said, I don't want to talk about it. It's closed. That's all I have to say about it. Like and then kicks them out literally for asking questions, which is what reporters do when you invite them in, by the way. Right. Um, next, it discusses the fact that his parents were denied access to his body for days after. Um, number five, they exposed that the coroner was not called to the scene until six hours after law enforcement arrived. And that's including GBI and the sheriff's department. And um, this is literally illegal in Georgia, just so you guys know. Number six, at, um, once the paramedics arrived on the scene, which wasn't until hours after, um, they came and when they arrived, they noticed that the 
Investigators were not wearing shoe booties, therefore contaminating the crime scene. They did not have up crime scene tape, and they did not shut the area down. And it seemed as if Kendrick's body had been removed from the building before they arrived, and this was confirmed by multiple students that had observed it. And number seven, paramedics told investigators that this was 100% a homicide and not an accidental death. Therefore, they wanted to make sure that this was being processed correctly because that's also their job to make sure that they say like, no, 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 this isn't right. Um, and they were like, the police, GBI were like, no, 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 it's an accident because they had already made up their mind about what the story was. They had the story before anybody even came to do the autopsy. Yep. Next, um, the, the students were threatened with their graduation if they spoke about this with authorities uh, African-American students were told that they are not allowed to be interviewed by the sheriff's department. Like, and this is from the school? No, from the school and the sheriff's department said that they were not interviewing African-American students. Thank God. And lastly, people in the community were literally getting arrested with false accusation, accusations when discussing this case in a public setting. My God. So in November of 2018, a third autopsy was performed at the family's request, and it determined once again that this is not an accidental death, but blunt force trauma to the right side of his neck and thorax. And once this was officially released, an affidavit was released by the family from a witness that stated an individual admitted to them that Kendrick was killed after a person had hit him on the neck with a 45 pound dumbbell. Talking about the brothers. brothers. And I'm really, I'm really nervous to say their names. I am going to call them the Bell brothers. Uh, You guys can literally Google this. But people have been getting sued for saying their full names. So that's all I'm going to. You can literally just look it up. Um, And all of this was then handed over to the Lowndes County Sheriff's Department. And in August of 2017, Georgia Judge Richard Porter ruled that the Johnson family and their attorney had to pay more than $292,000 in legal fees to dozens of the respondents in their civil suit accusing the family of fabricating evidence. If this was a white boy, yeah, we would not be even having this conversation right now. And this is the perfect example of how systemic racism and just racism in general literally still flows through the country that we live in and it is disgusting it is sickening it's fucking enraging like i literally even just from an outside perspective i couldn't imagine you know like i'm not even going to try to put words into anybody's mouth because i literally can't even imagine it how that must feel on March 10th, 2021, Kendrick's case was reopened by the Lowndes County Sheriff's Department with a new sheriff, Ashley Polk. Um, however, he later stated that there seems to be no issues with his first uh, with his sheriff's department's first investigation, still ruling that this is I'm quoting at this point a quote weird accident. Okay. 
in the last week, there's been a lot of updates about this case, um, specifically out of Valdosta, out of Atlanta. You guys can literally just Google Kendrick Johnson's name and you can read these. It's still just discussing the fact that this case is a cover-up and deserves I'm to be reopened. I'm glad it's still in the media. I, I mean, if it wasn't, I don't know what we I would do. I hope it haunts every single official that worked the case, the school administration, the brothers the everybody the family i hope i mean literally the fbi should be terrified right now anonymous just came after you i know that y'all right. think that means nothing like y'all are like oh you're probably laughing at the fact that, that millions of millions listen to anonymous and i'm like not even a huge conspiracy theorist what i am is what you teach me and ask me about and the questions that you give me but when anonymous releases something I know that shit is factual factual because their asses can hijack anything. Yeah. And hack into anything. anything. They know what y'all are doing. They're probably in your phones right now. Sorry. So Lowndes County, Valdosta. What the fuck is going on? What the fuck are y'all doing? And the state of Georgia, what are you doing? These judges, what are you fucking doing this makes no sense this family deserves justice kendrick deserves for his name to be said over and over again on airwaves i mean i want to scream it i just like this case gives me chills i didn't sleep last night it makes in the fact that they even had to go so far out of their own the family out of their comfort zone to get attention was to release their son's photos from the crime scene can you imagine how put that out there and having to see it on every news channel in your area to have people talking about it always that's your baby Mm -hmm. that is your child that people are seeing in a place that no one ever wants to see somebody that's how hard they're fighting for their son so we owe it to them to do the exact same and listeners if you're listening this person literally released pictures of their baby to get more coverage on this it needs to be talked about there needs to be tweets going out every second of the day the national international news channels need to be discussing this case it kendrick deserves justice because that wasn't an accident all right guys so that's all i've got today morgan that was totally fucked up And with that, we'll see you guys in the totally fucked up session to talk about our really sweet reviews. A quick little uh, tone change. Um, If you guys are ending now, uh, if you have if you are looking for any resources um, to get help or you feel like you're being silenced, please go down to our show notes. I'm going to give you some resources down there to reach out to and get some help. And I'm also going to link the anonymous uh, videos along with the um, case file photos um all right if you're driving slow the fuck down if you're drinking don't fucking drive and remember this is totally Totally fucked fucked up up. all right guys so let's go through some of the sweetest freaking reviews we've ever gotten yes 
Um, so the first one we have is from Stacy, and it is it says, um, absolutely love this podcast. Five stars. I love listening to crime, and I am so fascinated. I follow other crime podcasts, but yours is by far my favorite. I finally found your Instagram and TikToks, and I am so, so excited. Also, I was fangirling when Taylor commented on my comment. Uh (laughs) Thanks for doing this podcast and just being amazing. Y'all are perfect doing this together. Love ya. We love you. Oh, thank you. Thank thank you. you. Um, The next one is from a bunch of letters, and it says, I'm not going to read them. It says, eek, five stars. I saw Taylor on my For You page on TikTok, and I was immediately drawn to her voice. And how they both have the podcast voice. I've turned down good true crime podcasts due to the voice telling the stories. And who knew I was a creepy lover too. Keep it up, ladies. Listening in Louisiana. Oh, thank you. Okay, next it says, this podcast is a must. Five stars from WSL98. Love, love, love this podcast. I listen to it while I work and they always keep it interesting and funny. I got to say, I've never truly been interested in podcasts until I came across theirs. Mm. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> the next one is from Sierra Vickers. It says, TikTok, five stars. I found you guys on TikTok. I love your podcast. I have been binging so hard for a week now. I love how you keep everything light. Never stop. Oh, thank you. All right. And then we have one from A Hirsch 17. Love it. Five stars. Found your podcast through TikTok. Thanks for keeping me entertained while I'm working. You're welcome. And we love that we're in your ears right now. Yes. The next one is from Catherine Jurde 616. It says great. Five stars. Love you guys. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. All right. And then this one says a must listen. Five stars from T. A, a Russian last name. <laughs> Chekovzik. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Marley. Uh, I found this podcast through TikTok, and I have now shared it with all of my friends that also love true crime. Taylor and Morgan make it feel like you're chatting with your besties about your favorite conspiracies, haunting, and true crime cases while getting a bit tipsy. Their voices are so soothing. And, oh, my God, I can't be soothing now because I'm messing up. Um, and the stories are told so well. My, my all-time favorite podcast podcast now thank you so much Aww. and our last one that we're gonna read today is from kelly girl in wa i'm assuming washington yeah it says binge worthy five stars i love you guys have been binging since ep one and am obsessed you guys are both creepy and crimey and always give me chills and crack me up so glad i found this podcast 10 out of 10 ah, thank you guys Thanks, so guys. much you guys are so sweet and uh, we'll continue on with the rest of them Next week on the pod in the yeah, TFU section. Have so many. Is there anything? Keep it up. Is there anything TFU you want to talk about? Actually, yeah. Let's let's do one more review. We usually <laughs> don't talk about our bad reviews, but uh, maybe what? we'll just mention it. This real one quick. deserves to be mentioned. This one's from MTGHIKCD. Love the name. <laughs> um, and it's titled Joe Rogan fans. <laughs> one star. I had high hopes for this podcast until one of the hosts said she's a Joe Rogan fan and recommended his podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, MTGHIKCD. I really appreciate that. But also, where? Bitch, where? Because um, we have recommended an interview with a, as we sourced it. Yeah. Because we literally have to source the shit that we get. Or else you'll bitch at us for our sources. Which you, a lot of you guys have. Um, but just because we recommend or source an interview, especially about conspiracies, which is where it gets kind of sketchy. Right. 
that does not mean that we support or are a fan of that particular page. And I even got a comment about me with Nancy Grace. So I think it's so funny that you got one with Joe Rogan. Again, just because we source does not mean we support. Get that through your heads right now. You got it? Okay. Okay. We'll let it be now. And that was totally fucked up. That was totally fucked up. All right. Love you guys. Bye.